God. Brother Rob Schutz. Our life group's pastor. God bless you, Brother Rob. sees what he does in the prayer closet for you. Not everyone sees the, the messes he deals with for you and the people that he deals with, so we might not have to. And um, I give you honor. But there's only one worthy. We're going to talk about that today. There's only one worthy, and you know who that is. Lord, we worship you. We give you praise. We give you honor. You are the only one who is worthy of glory. You're the only one worthy of our attention. You're the only one worthy of our life. Our kingdom needs to lay before your kingdom because you are the one who is worthy. I pray that you would just move in this house. I pray that you would continue to let your word get in our hearts today as we bring it forward in Jesus' name. While you're standing, let's open to Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. He's, uh, this is one of the minor prophets, which doesn't mean he's short. It just means that the book is not as long. Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. He is worth rejoicing. He is worthy. You may have a seat. So Zechariah, he was an Old Testament prophet written about 520 B.C. So 520 B.C. Assuming people's lifespans are about 70 years old in this ancient time, that would mean eight generations would have passed um, before, you know, the changing from B.C. to A.D. So that would mean Zechariah's great, 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 great grandson or so, give or take a few greats, would have seen this prophecy come to pass. They would have said, oh, you remember uh, old, old Zechariah? Most people forgot, but he wrote this prophecy. And look who's coming down on a colt. It came to pass. The prophets written of old. It took 500 years. And people waited, but it happened. So the triumphal entry refers to that that religious day known as Palm Sunday that occurred about one week prior to the resurrection of Jesus and the Sunday prior to his Friday crucifixion. So what do you know about the triumphal entry? What was the significance of the triumphal entry? Well, there's, there's a video that hopefully we can run that's going to explain it better than I could. If we can cue that up, that would be great. What was the significance of the triumphal entry? 
The triumphal entry is that of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the crucifixion. The story of the triumphal entry is one of the few incidents in the life of Jesus which appears in all four gospel accounts. Putting the four accounts together, it becomes clear that the triumphal entry was a significant event, not only to the people of Jesus' day, but to Christians throughout history. We celebrate Palm Sunday to remember that momentous occasion. On that day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey's colt, one that had never been ridden before. The disciples spread their cloaks on the donkey for Jesus to sit on, and the multitudes came out to welcome him, laying before him their cloaks and branches of palm trees. The people hailed and praised him as the king who comes in the name of the Lord, as he rode to the temple where he taught the people, healed them, and drove out the money changers and merchants who had made his father's house a den of robbers. Jesus' purpose in riding into Jerusalem was to make public his claim to be their Messiah and King of Israel in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Matthew says that the king coming in the foal of a donkey was an exact fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus rides into his capital city as a conquering king and is hailed by the people as such in the manner of the day. The streets of Jerusalem, the royal city, are open to him, and like a king he ascends to his palace. Not a temporal palace, but the spiritual palace that is the temple, because his is a spiritual kingdom. He receives the worship and praise of the people because only he deserves it. No longer does he tell his disciples to be quiet about him but to shout his praises and worship him openly. The spreading of cloaks was an act of homage for royalty. Jesus was openly declaring to the people that he was their king and the Messiah they had been waiting for. Unfortunately, the praise the people lavished on Jesus was not because they recognized him as their savior from sin. They welcomed him out of their desire for a messianic deliverer, someone who would lead them in a revolt against Rome. There were many who, though they did not believe in Christ as Savior, nevertheless hoped that perhaps he would be to them a great temporal deliverer. These are the ones who hailed him as king with their many hosannas, recognizing him as the son of David who came in the name of the Lord. But when he failed in their expectations, when he refused to lead them in a massive revolt against the Roman occupiers, the crowds quickly turned on him. Within just a few days, their hosannas would change to cries of, Crucify him! Those who hailed him as hero would soon reject and abandon him. The story of the triumphal entry is one of contrasts, and those contrasts contain applications to believers. It is the story of the king who came as a lowly servant on a donkey, not a prancing steed, not in royal robes, but on the clothes of the poor and humble. Jesus Christ comes not as a conqueror by force as earthly kings, but by love, grace, mercy, and his own sacrifice for his people. His is not a kingdom of armies and splendor, but of lowliness and servanthood. He conquers not nations, but hearts and minds. His message is one of peace with God, not of temporal peace. If Jesus has made a triumphal entry into our hearts, he reigns there in peace and love. As his followers, we exhibit those same qualities, and the world sees the true king living and reigning in triumph in us. Yeah, the Gospels describe the triumphal entry of Jesus. It was when he entered into the holy city of Jerusalem, the place of his name. 
So when reading and studying for this, this uh, subject, what caught my eye was the different types of people involved. I was focused on Matthew 21, so we're going to read some scriptures from there, starting with Matthew 21, verse 2. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on him, on them, and set him on them. So who was Jesus sending? The disciples. So those are some of the characters we see first in this passage. Um, let's also read Matthew 21.9. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Who were declaring Hosanna? Who were these people? The multitudes. So we see disciples. Now we see multitudes. Um, by the way, they're declaring Hosanna, which means please save us. So it's a savior. It's we need a redeemer. We need a hero. We need a savior. Now let's jump to Matthew 21, 10 through 11. And when he had come into Jerusalem... All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So who was moved? The whole city. So the triumphal entry concludes here, but the three synoptic gospels continue to show what happened when Jesus entered um, what should be the prized gem of the city. What would you think that would be in Jerusalem? What place would you expect the, the grand entrance to be? Ah, oh, I heard it. The temple. Yes, the place, dedicated space for him, the temple. So let's go down to Matthew 21, 12 through 13. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who, brought, who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So who did Jesus rebuke here? The money changers. And then there's uh, one other set of characters I'd like to look at, and it's in verse 14 through 16. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. So who is praising God perfectly? Children. So we see disciples, multitudes, the whole city, money changers, including scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders, and children. So all these different people are in this passage. And, and what, what did they do there? Well, the disciples, they were the ones closest to Jesus. 
they, when you're close to Jesus, you're, giving a call, you're called to go. You're given a calling. That's what the disciples were given. He said, go get a donkey. So the disciples were given a calling. They served the master. They removed their coats, which is making a sacrifice for Jesus. That's what disciples do. They acted in obedience. The, closest, the closer you get to God, the more he'll trust you as a servant, give you calling, ask you to make some sacrifices, and look for you to act in obedience. Then there's the multitude. What did they do? They laid branches and garments before Jesus. They also sacrificed some things. They went before the Lord and followed the Lord. They declared Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. There are more people than the disciples that recognize him as king. Then there's the city at large. They were all moved at this unsuspecting figure, curious of his identity. Then the money changers, what about them? Well, they were in the temple, but they were unholy. There are some people that are in the temple, but unholy. Physically present, but of a wrong heart. Prone to following the flesh, taking advantage of people when opportunities arise. That's what they were doing. They were seeking self-gain, looking to get what they could with their little bit extra weight that nobody could really calibrate quite right. Um, but that was deceitful. They did not give consideration of seeking God in prayer. And they were deserving of every rebuke of Jesus. And then the children pure in heart, praising God in perfection. But of course, all these characters that, that we see pop up in the text, they, they fade and they grow dim when we look at the primary character of Jesus with qualities of humility and lowliness. He fulfilled prophecy. He was the only one worthy of worship. So a question to ask is, who are we most like? Who are you most like? Can you relate most to the disciples or the children, the city at large, the multitude? Um, the disciples? So this is something I noticed that all these people, some of them had good qualities, some better than others, but they all waned and faded with respect to the light of the glorious king. So the disciples, they were closest to God, paid great prices, yet they still at one point denied to know Christ, or they abandoned Christ. The multitude, they praised Jesus and lifted him up on Palm Sunday, but many of the same people may have been there the following week saying crucify him, sentencing him to death. What about the money changers? Coming to the sanctuary, but then carrying out your dealings rather than making a point to pray to the, peop to the God that people think you serve. The children, have you walked in simplicity worshiping God? Even the children, though of purest hearts, often aren't equipped to understand or take on the responsibility required for the sake of humanity. Are you like most like Jesus? That's the question we should ask. He was the only one worthy. None of us compare. We can be like him, but it takes complete surrender denying of ourselves and letting him be the one seen. Jesus completely surrendered his human will. Think of it as 
I mean, Jesus is the flesh of God. He was a man. He had to completely surrender his own will to the Holy Spirit of God. What do all these people have in common outside of Jesus? They sinned and fell short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to save them all. He came for everyone. So there's only one worthy, only one worthy of our praise, one worthy of our attention, only one worthy of our time, only one worthy of our money, our effort, our finances, our obedience. There's a lot of people calling for us to, you know, spend your money here, spend your money there. They'll say, they'll tell you a subtle lie and said, you worked hard, you deserve this. You're the one who should come to my uh, establishment and give me some cash here. You're the one who should come because you're worthy. But, you know, they're, they're selling something. There's only one worthy. So this is, this is a short sermon today. But uh, he is worthy because he paid our debt. He is worthy because he did not abandon us. He is worthy because he prayed the prayers when we fell asleep before finishing like the disciples. He finished those prayers for us. He completed every divine mission that we were given. We may have fallen short. The disciples, they may have completed part of their mission, but they couldn't have completed the mission. He completed it. He is worthy because he rebuked the injustices that we embraced. He rebuked the injustices that we simply put up with. We put up the things in the money tables, the money changers. But Jesus is worthy because he did not. He is worthy because he loves and confirms even the smallest of children. He is worthy because he's the centerpiece of history. The time frame comes up to Jesus and it all points back to him. He is the only one worthy because he is the cornerstone. He was the stone that the builders rejected. The multitude said, oh, here's a cornerstone. Ah, we don't need this cornerstone. They rejected it. It was a stone that became the cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone is what the whole kingdom is founded on. The whole kingdom of God is founded on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And in any foundation, it's made of just more than just one cornerstone. It's made of a whole foundation of stones for the foundation, which is the teaching of the apostles and the doctrine of the disciples. So Jesus was a chief cornerstone. Those closest to him made up that foundation. And what I'm speaking to you today is built on that. Everything that we preach goes back to that foundation because there is only one worthy. He is worthy because he is the Lamb of God from the foundation of the world. He was the one whose perfect blood was shed for you and me. He is the only one worthy, and he is the one on the throne of God. There's only one you will see on the throne, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he came, not conquering king, not throwing a sword around. He came lowly and did the thing that none of us could do, and that is why he is worthy. Well, that's what I want us to think about today. Who is worthy is the one king of all. And I would, I would like us all to take some time to respond to that. I'd like us to take some time, come to the front and think about 
where we've fallen short. It takes a little digging. We may have been even like the children where we've worshiped God, but we realize uh, we, we can't do it without him. We cannot do it without him. So no matter who you identify with in that passage of Matthew 21, there's only one worthy. And we all point to him. We all lift our hands to him, lay our coats before him, put the palm branches before him, surrender our lives to him. And he's coming back for us. Let's, uh, let's come together in prayer. Lord, we lift up your name. We give you glory. We thank you for the word that you've given us. I pray that it would seek, seep into our minds as we seek your face. Help us to realize how much we need you. We need a savior. We are in need of a true hero because we've done everything that we could. We've been deceived. We've fallen short. But you can make up for it. You can give us a true calling. You can lift us up. You are the one who went to the cross for us, took our sins and nailed them to it. You are the one who was lifted up so that we could live a life of purpose. You've given us um, life itself. It comes from you, Jesus, and we thank you for it, for you are worthy. We give you glory. We give you praise. We say, Hosanna in the highest. Please save us, Lord. We thank you, God, for the sacrifice you've given us. We thank you that we can look forward to the week following Palm Sunday when you paid it all for us and you, you put it all on the cross. You went into the tomb for us and you came up on that third day. Lord, I thank you for resurrecting to show us that there is new life on the other side if we can give it to you, Jesus. We thank you for demonstrating and and physically acting out the death, burial, and resurrection so that we can respond in repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and in filling of the Holy Spirit, Lord God. We pray that you would give us that new life, that new birth in the Spirit. As we put our flesh down, I pray that you would lift our spirit up for only you are worthy. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's respond to the word of the Lord. Why don't you get out of your seat and find a place to pray here as they sing this song. This song is not for you to be entertained by. It's for you to respond to the presence of God. Well, this is an altar call. This is where we water the word that's been seated in our heart. Step out and say, only you are worthy of this praise right now, God. Only you are worthy of this prayer right now. If you want to sit and pray, that's fine. But if not, then come to the altar. Respond to the word of the Lord. Jesus, we love you. Jesus. Be the one worthy, more worthy than all others. One final breath he gave as heaven looked to away. The Son of God was laid in darkness. A paddle in the grave. The war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broken. The crown began. 